Our text picks up this morning in the story of the people of Israel in Joshua, the third chapter, starting at the seventh verse. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the right, in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. And when you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua then said to the Israelites, Draw near and hear the words of the Lord our God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that among you is the living God, who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perserites, the Gigershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And that was four semesters of Hebrew right there. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth rests in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. They shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross over Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam the city that is beside Zarephim, while those flowing toward the sea of Arabath, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And while all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. It's the second time that God stops the water so the people can cross through. And today is an interesting text, I think. You notice that in the last few chapters of Matthew, we've been looking at the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes have been given Jesus a very hard time. They are starting to question him publicly and want to know, what's the deal with you? Where do you get your authority? How do you know this? How do you know that? Let's see if we can trick you with a question about the church and the state. <laughs> Didn't work. So now Jesus maybe has had enough. And in Matthew 23, the first verse, he starts this way. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, 
the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore, do whatever they teach you and follow it. But do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have a place of honor at the banquets and the best seats in the synagogue, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplace, and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah, the greatest among you, will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was in high school, I had a choir teacher who was really quite good, renowned actually in in what she, she did. But every time something would happen that she didn't like with the choir, she'd pound the top of the piano. Couldn't have been good for the piano, right? And say, listen, you people, you need to do this, 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 and this. And then she would show us an example of what this, 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 and this was. And invariably, she would screw it up somehow. And then she'd look at us and say, oops, do as I say, not as I do. Giggle, giggle, giggle. I never found that amusing. Never one time did I find that amusing. If you look up on the internet, lead by example, there are a gajillion posts, I'm telling you. And a gajillion is a, a low estimate. Everybody in the business world wants to talk now about leading by example. How does one lead by example? What does it look like? What does it do? Why is it good for your organization? Is that really that hard a question? Really? Lead by example. Let me tell you a few things about leading by example I know. First of all, it's very important to me to lead by example. I try, I work very hard at doing it. I am not standing up here saying I'm the perfect person by any means. But it is on my mind about leading by example almost all the time. Here, there are a couple of ways I lead by example. One is... Well, let me say it this way. The one way I know for sure I will not lead by example here is if you all do a rummage sale, I am not going to help. Not going to help. I don't do them. Don't do them. Don't ask me. 
That's the one place for sure I know I don't lead by example. But think about what you know about pastors who don't lead by example. You know those guys who are driving, flying their jets all around? I want to assure you that I have never and nor will I ever own a jet. People who seem like shysters because they're always asking for money. You know? One of my big struggles in my own faith life is how to give to this church because... You know, there are programs that I fund here that don't go through the church, but there's also a responsibility to tithe to the church, and I know that. And so I always have a struggle with that. If you don't lead by example, and you call your, you have the stamp Christian on your forehead, people notice. You all can name who those pastors are. The ones who lost their great empires of religion for, you know, sleeping with the wrong people or hoping they could sleep with the wrong people. For me, that notion of leading by example is far more personal but benign. And here's here's what I know. Here's, Here's the example that always sticks in my head. My grandmother, when I was young, was very involved in the funeral meals of the church. You know the funeral meals, how they go? Lots of people are involved, and lots of people help, and lots of people bring in things. And invariably, every time she did one, she would come home and say, that pastor of ours, do you think one time he would roll up his sleeves and wash a dish? No. You You ever seen me in the kitchen of the church? Right? There's a reason for that. The example I can think of most is that um, when you're in college and are a Christian, people will look to you for particular things. In my era in college, it was do you drink alcohol and do you drink it a lot? So one of these times when Quaker Steak and Lube only had one restaurant and it was 30 minutes from the college I went to, my friends and I were at Quaker Steak and Lube and we were all drinking Diet Pepsi or whatever we drank at the time, water or something, no alcohol. And these bunch of guys started hitting on us from Slippery Rock. Did that garner a snicker back here? Um... And we started talking, and they said, oh, well, we thought you all were from Grove City because you're not drinking. Grove City is the Christian college across the way from us because, you know, the Christians don't drink in their minds. Is that leading my example? I wonder. I don't know, but here's what I know. People look. And that's why Jesus is saying this. The main religious people of the day are not living up to the standards of the law of Moses. And so he's saying they still have authority because they sit on Moses' seat. These people are still valuable for you to listen to. 
but be careful what you do. Because they're not doing what they're supposed to. So if you do what they do, you're going to be in trouble. You're not following Moses' laws. See, this seems very simple. Do what the law says. Say what the law does. Know that you are right with God. But if we are human, we know that it is difficult sometimes to follow the law to its letter. And Jesus even expands on that law. You know, Jesus says, the Ten Commandments say, do not kill. But if you harbor hate in your heart, you are guilty. Do as I say and do as I do becomes difficult then. And all of this that Jesus is talking about is trying to get us to a place where we can understand that the place we should be is a place of humility. Knowing that none of us ever live up to the standard that Jesus has set for us. That's a hard one to accept. My friend Bob Willett says it this way. He says, you cannot not sin. And I promise you that there are many people in this room who don't believe me when I say that. Not that they don't believe the theological doctrine or whatever, but they just don't believe that their sins are that bad. I'm not bad. Never killed anybody. I don't know if I ever really even harbored harbored hatred in my heart. That's pretty harsh, right? But I'm a sinner. I don't live up to the standards the way I should. You're a sinner. You don't live up to the standards the way you should. Don't get it wrong. That doesn't mean you're, supposed, you're not supposed to try. But see, the thing is, God knew that we would not live up to those standards. And God sent us a Savior to make sure that our guilt was expunged. The glory of Jesus is that his life, death, and resurrection was for all of us. All of us sinners. To lighten our load. To cover us in those times when we can't do what we say. Even if we want to. 
and to make sure that we can walk rightly with God so that we can learn how to do and say the things that God would have us do and say. Glory, hallelujah. Amen.